0: Welcome to Agile Clips, where we break down Agile into manageable pieces. In this episode, we're joined by Andrew Webster for a conversation about negative views of Agile, what can cause people to have these negative views and how to overcome them to help teams reap the benefits of the Agile values and principles. Hey, uh, Steve,
1: I think we have our new announcement that we want to make Do the honours.
0: Yes, we're very excited to welcome Andrew Webster as a co-host of the, uh, the podcast. Yay. He was actually one of our guests in uh, episode uh, seven back uh, in June of 2019. But we've known Andrew for a long time and really respect his uh, experience and knowledge. So we're really, really delighted to have him as a co-host going forwards. Well, thank
2: you so much for the welcome. And I'm delighted that despite having known me for so long, um, that you are delighted. That's just fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) And I can't believe it. Was it really back in June last year? Gosh, I mean, time is a very different beast at the moment, isn't it? Extraordinary.
1: That is true.
2: So, so what what shall we um, dig into this evening, guys? I'm I'm excited about it.
0: So the idea ahead, was uh, today we'll just have a, a conversation. Nothing was planned out, um, and I'm going to challenge you by making a statement that would be uh, possibly typical of something you might hear, and just use that to kick off the conversation. Oh, that sounds fun! Excellent. All right. So here goes. So I don't buy into this agile BS. I tell my guys what they need to get done. I let them tell me when they'll get it done, but then I hold their feet to the fire and they bloody well get it done. So why do I need this agile stuff?
2: (laughs) Oh my goodness me. If I got paid a dollar for every time I'd heard something like that, I'd I probably have been paid about $25 by now, actually thinking about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's, so, that's so good. I really get how many people, on one hand, really want to rely on what they already know, that they're very invested in their own expertise and their own experience, and why wouldn't they be? And I might not be quite this blunt as I, as I speak to them directly, but I feel a little bit safer just talking with you guys. I also get how, in many places, um, Agile has been introduced as something that is a a magic bullet. It's, uh, you know, and it's been imposed upon people and it's never really been set up for success. And then there isn't a success, and guess what? That's Agile's fault. And so Mm -hmm. people, quite naturally, quite naturally, you can't blame them, are like, oh, well, you know, I know what to do. It didn't work last time, so I'll do more of what I know to do to make sure it does work this time. Um, or as a friend of mine once described it, the first rule of business, if it doesn't work, do more of it. Mm. Um, Santosh, what would, what, what's your feeling to hearing somebody say something like that?
1: I think the, um, if I put myself in their shoes,
2: mm.
1: uh, it's more of um, change is scary. And if they know where, wherever they have reached so far, if they know only that way, then changing it to the something that is completely unknown or something that uh, you never know whether it's going to succeed or not. So people are very shy or risk averse yeah. and that translates some of these responses. Um, and as you said earlier that you know, What we have seen is um, sometimes it's being shoved down the throat. So all you get is a lip service. And then outcomes are, of course, uh, not what was desired or desirable. And then what changed? Oh, the Agile came in. So it Mm -hmm. must be Agile's fault. And then everyone slides back to their own comfort zone. So,
2: Yeah, I I got it. I mean, it's interesting. Um, If somebody actually said exactly what Steve just said, what I'd be hearing as well is that they probably had their fingers burned. Um, And so they didn't want that to happen again. So A, they wanted to take an approach that they believed might work. B, I, I heard something in it that's just a little bit, oh, they're trying to put the responsibility for success onto their people. Now, I'd, I'd never, again, I'd never say this out loud to somebody that, you know, basically, how dare you just make it their fault that, you know, that this didn't work out. Has it ever dawned on you that maybe the approach to the work is the thing that wasn't appropriate? Um, because what, if I was going to coach somebody like this, the first thing I'd do is agree with them and make sure that they understood that I totally got their position. And then I'd want to find out, well, look, what would success actually look like to you?
1: Mm -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm. Because, I mean, all three of us here, we've got tons of experience dealing with this kind of situation. And once you know what success looks like, then it's, it's actually pretty straightforward to go ahead and lay out some kind of approach where even using an iterative and incremental approach to it, you make sure that very quickly you've got the smallest possible version of that success already done. Two weeks in, you've got a little something that's working. So that by the time you actually get to, you know, if I'm assuming they're working to a deadline, you've actually got something that's that's working, whole and complete. It may not be 100% of everything that they imagined that they would get, but by the time they get it, it's actually still going to be something that's going to be of value, that's going to be moving their organization's game ahead, that's gonna make sure that they look good, I'd have taken a lot of care to make sure that the communication between their teams and themselves was improved considerably. So what they called holding their feet to the fire, we turned into visibility, inspection, and adaption, the three good old pillars of Agile, right? What, what would you guys do? Steve, you, you presented it. What would be your own response to your own assertions?
0: Well, I tell my guys what they need to do and they get it done. I give them my <laughs> stones <laughs> and I whip them into shape. <laughs> uh, no, I, meant, I meant the other Steve, right? That, that, right. <laughs> well, obviously the problem is, well, there, there are many problems <laughs> with that kind of situation, yeah. but one of them that you alluded to, Andrew, is kind of um, having too much coming together at the end rather than, yeah. you know, it was implied in what I said that there was no iteration. Yeah. It was implied in what I said that the team couldn't learn from what was going on, that it could not um, take on the responsibility in a good way, in a positive way that made them um, achieve a success and be proud of it and become yeah. more, productive over time and learn and grow and all of those kinds of things. It was also implied that it was all command and control, which means that there's a single point of failure. If I can't give them the commands on a daily basis, then what happens? So there's so many different issues involved in that, that very small statement.
1: You know, one thing that I, I also wanted to add to this was I, if I, whenever I hear this kind of a, statement or, or suggestion i always ask them um, do you feel that at the end you will get what you are looking for when you say i will ask them to get this done and so what is the percentage of success that you have seen mm. and that's when the real you know questions start as to you know you can do command and control only so much and mm you know they will basically give you all the right answers that you want to hear but when it comes down to actually delivering uh, 70% of the time it it doesn't doesn't reach what you're looking for anyway so
2: no. yeah and, and like steve said it does lead to a single point of failure if somebody thinks they have to tell everybody what to do what if they're wrong
1: exactly Right?
2: What if this is actually a a problem or a solution or both that are emergent, that people literally have never seen before, trying to tell somebody what to do implies that you already know what to do, which implies that you must have done it before, which, you know, we we know we're analysts, if you'd done it before in software, well, you'd use that, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, that that also brings up another uh, aspect of it is that, When you have a complex problem, command and control will, uh, the failure rate is way higher because it evolves and you have no clue as to whether that's going to succeed or not. That's why the simple problem or straightforward problems that you have done it on, you just want to add more things to it, it's fine. But um, when you get into the complexity and the degree of complexity, unless you try these things and iteratively do that, the uh, guarantee of failure uh, in the conventional way is higher.
0: By the in way, a, I a, tell a, the team what to do and how to do it. We don't listen to pesky customers. <laughs>
2: oh, yeah. I mean, this this whole business would be so much easier if it wasn't for the customers, eh? God. God. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Or well, people. People come to that. I mean, gosh, you know, everything about technology would be so much more straightforward. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, I, again, it's that thing of, of um, having another little look at going, okay, good, got that. I mean, I know customers, they're always changing their minds and things. Um, nonetheless, uh, how will we know that we're actually successful? What, what, what are the best ways of making sure that, you know, your idea, Steve, the, the command and control manager, your idea of what success is, is something that we can actually line up with the team's understanding so they do actually deliver on it? Well, and and is your idea of success going to match our organization's idea? You know, I want to make sure that, that we don't have a bit of an, an oopsie where we successfully deliver something to your satisfaction, but then you get in trouble because it turns out that it's not actually, you know, affecting the bottom line or anything. Um, you know, uh, what, what sort of criteria are we using there?
0: If I get a the bonus, then I'm good. And my ah. responsibility is to deliver on time not what Got it. I deliver Got And
1: it. I think uh, yeah and I think as long as I have a scapegoat to blame on somebody who when we do when run into failure then I'm golden
2: yes yes as it's, it's funny isn't it I, I used to use the phrase single ringable neck about you know product owners until I realized that the product owners were listening <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> oh yes yeah that's not really an encouraging job description is it
0: (laughs) (laughs) but we do want product owners to be good listeners oh
2: emphatically yes um so it would be wise as a coach that they may be looking to as a a trustworthy source of support to not refer to them as being someone that's potentially going to be strung up for errors beyond their control you know no we can certainly we can certainly deliver this on time for you Um, so on time is one thing that's, that's really important. What else, you know, when we say on time, are there any other conditions that we need to meet so that, you know, I want you to get your bonus. I get that. Absolutely. And why not? You know, if we can do that, there's a chance that all of the team will get their bonuses too. That would be wonderful. What a success. But what else? Is there anything else that could come out of left field that would surprise us? Anything about, I don't know, performance, cost, any of those things? Because I mean... I can get it to come in on time. We'd just probably need to, you know, have a bit of a budget. So if it needs to be, we can spin up extra teams or.
1: Well, I think the uh, blind side point of view is uh, what if, what we deliver is uh, what is not what market wants.
2: Yeah. So that's a good question. So, so Steve, the command and control manager, um, I, I get that you want to have it delivered on time, but I don't want to deliver the wrong thing on time i 'm um, guessing that you 're planning on sticking around after it 's delivered and after you 've got your <laughs> bonus so so let 's just make sure that we you know put a parachute in place around this uh, who who's, Who should we go and talk to to make sure that we do deliver something that like the market wants? What do you think so
0: yeah well, i 'm sorry steve i 've got to put you on the spot
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: i 'm beginning to hate this other Steve. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, but I, th- I think um, I'm, I'm seeing this in every level of things as to um, when they start seeing how the sausage is made, then I think their point of view changes. Because otherwise, once you throw it over the wall as Steve, you're saying, I asked them to do this and I, you know, damn you, you will get it done by this date. Well, what happens on the other side? of that wall. Uh, you, you need to really know. Otherwise, you, you will, they will deliver exactly what you asked for. <laughs> yeah.
2: I mean, I actually loved how you put it, Steve, because you're right. There's so many aspects to that. I mean, I immediately was imagining this this poor guy who's got a, a demanding partner at home whose who's Mercedes is two years old now, and that just won't do. They want, they want the new Mercedes, so you'd better get your bonus or you'll never hear the end of this. You'll be sleeping on the sofa for the next six months if you don't get your bonus. So this poor guy, he's, oh, he's under all of these pressures. You know, he can still hear his grandmother's voice saying, you'll never come to anything. I just know it. <laughs> right, right. So there's all of that. So there's no, it doesn't help to just start arguing with the guy and making him wrong that to, to, you know, without, humiliating or embarrassing the guy to actually fully acknowledge yeah, I think oh, is that is that Steve, the other manager, phoning up to tell us to get on with it. <laughs> he <laughs> so, didn't realise
0: <laughs> it was she who must be obeyed, asking she... where her Mercedes was. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
2: I forget, Steve, sometimes that you and I have a joint cultural heritage, so she who must be obeyed would be there in our past. Oh, that's fantastic! <laughs> and for those listeners who are listening in mono and black and white, we're referring back to. Gosh, it was Rumpol of the Bailey, wasn't it? Who referred to his wife in the in his, the TV series as She Who Must Be Obeyed, which in turn <laughs> was a reference back to the book She by L. Ryder Haggard that described an immortal empress, as I recall. I think I think that was what it was.
1: That was quite educational for me
2: too. <laughs> hey, I am a demon at trivial pursuit. Oh. It's... Anyhow, back to the plot. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, yes, I mean, it, yeah, it points to dealing with the humanity of anybody who is, you know, being that assertive, recognizing that it's, if there's somebody quite senior, they've probably been around for a while, and they may have a faith that previous successes imply current or future successes. And again, I get that. I mean, you know, um, if you have been super successful in the past... That's probably how come you got promoted. And, um, oh, what's it called? Is it the Peter Principle that you get rise promoted?
0: Rising to the level of incompetence. Correct,
2: yep. yeah, yep.
1: yeah, yeah.
2: And nobody ever goes, oh, crap, I can't do this job. I better get myself demoted again. <laughs> so, right. you know. But,
1: but yeah. you know, there's that, the other, other aspect of it is that, you know, what is the trigger? Of mm-hmm. this this attitude or this is um, uh, point of view or men- mental uh, stance that, mm-hmm. that um, as you said it may be uh, the, they jumped in with both feet and did not know even know which way is up and you know, so the because the entry barrier is very low success barrier is way high and that's where it, 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 you know, things can go sideways. And uh, so that that's, could be one of the uh, reasons why uh, that kind of attitude, that kind of a mindset shows up.
2: Yeah, I really like how you put that. The entry barrier is low, but the, um, the bar is high. You know, you could really recruit that in having a conversation with Steve, the scary manager. <laughs> going, Look, I, I, I get it. If things didn't work out well last, last time, Let's make sure that things go well from the get-go this time so that we don't have a nasty moment at the end when we realize it's all going to fall to pieces again. So let's start to think about what's the, the, the most important, maybe the riskiest bit to take on first. Maybe, depending on the team, we don't want to go that way. Maybe we want something easy where they can get a quick win. They get their confidence up. You get your confidence and trust in them up what would be a good place to start so that we can get something done pretty quickly? I'd love to, uh, you know, that would be a kind of conversation I'd want to have. Cause you're right. That then brings the bar way back down again.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: And then you can start to rebuild trust. Cause I mean, trust is built in drips, but it's lost. Like you've knocked the bottom out of a bucket, you know? So uh, let's, let's give them some drips to build back up again.
1: Yeah. And I think the, Uh, Other aspect of it is that once you get a couple of successes under your belt, then automatically uh, even the tougher situations uh, become a lot more logical. uh, And and then you can see um, almost like, oh, what were your riskiest assumptions you had made?
2: Because
1: 90% of the time, the challenges occur is that the wrong assumptions. Yeah. And or the risky assumptions. And that's where it goes sideways. But yeah, unless um, you try it end to end and few things, those assumptions don't pan out. And those actually don't show up as these were the wrong assumptions.
2: That's so good. I had a big, um, you know, penny drop moment uh, last year. I went through some trainings with the Xscale Alliance, Pete Merrill's coaching organization. And he's got a very different way of looking at business agility and product management, which is great. It's always good to come at things from a different angle. And absolutely what you were just saying, Santosh is one of the things that um, the Xscale guys emphasize, rather than, than just trying to jump to a, a, an MVP, a minimum viable product, what they look for first are your riskiest assumptions. Mm-hmm. And they design rats, riskiest assumption tests, as a place to start so um, an mvp in in that world may be a little set of riskiest assumption tests that are all interrelated so that you can go look as long as we can get this lot to work we yep. should be in good shape because if we can't get this lot to work then none of it's going to work and yep. steve the scary manager you know what i for all of your desire for this to work out there is still a chance it might might not Let's find out sooner rather than later so we can mitigate that because otherwise it's just magical wishful thinking. I hate to put it that bluntly, but it really is. If you just think that insisting that it goes well will have it go well, how's that been working for you?
0: Well, what you also uh, <clears throat> alluded to there is where I would probably start is really talk to someone and try and find out, you know, basically position it that. Like I'm not looking to change the way you work or anything of that nature, but I am very interested to know how things have gone in the past and see if there are particular areas where you've had problems that maybe we can address and find a solution to. And very often that does end up leading to a very agile approach. And one of them might be mitigating risks or it might be something else. I love coming back to the
2: first principle for me, which is the introductory line of the Agile Manifesto. We are uncovering better ways of developing software by doing it and helping others do it. Well, said another way, if we actually start to direct our attention at how we do what we do, then maybe we can actually reveal how we could improve it. We are uncovering, right? So exactly what you just said, Steve. Let's take a long, hard look at this and, you know, why don't we make sure that we can understand what it is that we're looking at so that then we can, you know, all the time do a little stop, check it, inspect it, adapt it, make it visible, make it transparent. I think the point at which I, f- I first deeply understood Agile was when a client I was working with years ago uh, gave lip service to going out, Agile, gave, gave lip service to adopting Scrum actually had no interest in doing so because they had a, an internal culture that was completely command and control. And we ended up becoming successful by not talking about Agile, not talking about Scrum at all. Instead, just making sure that we paid attention to the work and made it visible. We started to put it, it was, um, I think we used Jira, it was Jira or Rally or one of those tools. Um, in a in a completely plain vanilla configuration to do, in progress, done and just did that with a subset of, of the whole team. And that over time led to them actually uncovering a process that, that was almost identical to Scrum. It's just extraordinary.
1: Yeah, funny you should mention that because uh, we um, had uh, one of our meetups, Chris Sims, um, mm. we all know, uh, mm. he, he gave an example. You know, One of the clients that he was working at, they said, Agile sucks. We are not going to do Agile. And he said, okay, well, if you're not gonna do agile, let's see what sucks of, of this agile process. And they started talking about, um, yeah, having that demo wasn't too bad, we could do that. And then um, uh, having those stories uh, created, uh, that wasn't too bad, we could do that. So looks like the agile world was scary than the actual cerebral or actual process. Yeah. of getting it done and then they said okay we will not do agile we'll not call this agile but most of the things were done in that fashion anyway so sometimes that also carries that stigma
2: yeah
0: what I, you're both saying um, reminds me of someone i know who was brought into a bank and they had tried agile in the past and it hadn't gone very well and She never mentioned the word Scrum. She never mentioned the word Agile. Just (laughs) kind of tried to understand what was going on. And she said, yeah, this looks like what you're trying to do is really complex. Maybe we can break it down into pieces and tackle one thing at another. And then just slowly every Scrum concept was introduced one by one without ever mentioning that it was Scrum. And it really made a big difference. It really helped. And then... You know, after many, many weeks, she said, oh, by the way, do you realize that you're doing Scrum? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And I look back
2: on this, the client, I, I regularly tell the whole story and I make a bit of a presentation out of it. It's a bit of fun. But I never actually went back and said, by the way, guys, you know, you uncovered Scrum. I didn't have the heart. I didn't have the heart, because it would have been so much a sort of me being all, I told you so, <laughs> you know? but I get the temptation. Oh, it must have been such a satisfying moment for her. Well, you
1: know, sorry, go ahead.
2: I was going to say, it points to something really interesting, that when you realize that you're dealing with people who are stuck in maybe a past experience or some preconception, that changing the language might be all that you need to do. And on one hand, not mentioning the thing that activates them is clever. On the other hand, it had me think about um, my beloved Kinevin, Dave Snowden's work on, on complexity science and uh, decision support. He called the framework he developed, Knevin, a mm-hmm. Welsh word with very obscure meanings, specifically because people couldn't go, oh yeah, no, I've, I've heard of that. And know, even calling it like a complexity framework. A while back, I, I met a very senior agile trainer who had understood that Kinevina was complexity framework and immediately compared it to something else and just went, oh, that's the same as that other thing. And no, it, no it, it's not the same as this other thing. They've just fallen into the trap of if it's got similar sounding words, it must be the, a similar thing. Mm-hmm. So it's really good to go back to using the plainest of plain English If you're in that kind of situation,
0: for good measure, have the words sound completely different to the way it's written. Yeah, (laughs) yes, yes, yes. Which in Cinerfin's case, (laughs)
2: that that it's funny. I've been around those guys a lot, and it's a sort of running gag as how many different ways have you come across people mispronouncing Canervin. Right, it's just you know running gag. Anyhow, that's that's maybe a topic for another day
1: one thing that that uh, i have seen doing this is like um, i was at um, one client where all these uh, vps and those level were having tough time organizing their portfolio and uh, getting all these things together so i i started working with them pulling that together as to you know what those driving factors are and slowly went through and uh, built the cost of delay model, never said that word and never said, and I, I give them the whole scale of how doing this. And I said, does it make sense to you? And they said, yeah. I said, now if you uh, introduce a new uh, initiative into your portfolio, how will you do this? And they said, yeah, we'll add this and you know, put all these uh, COD, uh, cost of delay on the top of it and we'll, we'll get the efforts. And I said, well, what you just did is what is called Waited, shortage job first. If I would have done the other way, they would have just like closed the, slammed the door in pro- on me. But when they thought, oh, this is awesome. This is, we can do this. So you can call whatever you want. <laughs> you know, but yep. if it works, they'll adopt.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've got a very similar thing that I do with people and I just call it a bang for the buck exercise because they're like, exactly. oh, yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And you, you run them through exactly the same stuff and they reveal everything to themselves and then they've revealed it to themselves. That's the lovely thing. You don't have to tell them anything. Right. And on Indeed. that point onwards, they <laughs>
1: own it because yes. they, they feel that they came up with it. So
2: yes. That's yes. the best. <laughs> yes. Uh, going back to Steve, the, the angry and scared manager, I, I know that with people like that in the right situation, I may... Once they know me well enough, occasionally use the odd trick like, "Steve, you remember the other day? I can't remember what it was that you said, but it gave me an idea," and make it sound like the thing I'm going to tell them was their idea in the first place. (laughs) Now I have tried that before now and had somebody go, "Are you kidding? I'd never say that." (laughs) (laughs) It backfired horribly. (laughs) You know, once you've got a little credibility, it can be a lovely way to circumvent some of their concerns and have them go oh actually you know what I wouldn't ever say that but that sounds like a good idea you know they'd probably never say that out loud but <laughs> of
1: course yeah <laughs> I mean, uh, admitting the defeat is the last thing they would say <laughs> a-
2: absolutely you know <laughs> yes Um. Um. Yeah, it is one of those things we've seen many times is a redefinition of success yes <laughs> mm. <laughs> mission yeah. accomplished uh-huh yeah.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's where the big ego uh, comes in. As long as you feed that ego, yeah. Um, I think that that's where uh, agile coaches, uh, you know, maximum skill set has to be applied is how to feed different egos at different levels.
2: Yes, it, it's one of my concerns about um, some of the certifications is that to make them appealing, they sound like they come with more experience than they do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, certified Scrum beginner wouldn't sell. Certified <laughs> Scrum master sells. But unfortunately, what it's turned into is that, um, you know, hiring managers who aren't familiar with Scrum, HR departments who aren't familiar with it, all they've got to go on is a certification. So they hire somebody with the CSM thinking they're getting a, a master, an expert, someone with very high degrees of proficiency, and I, I know I've seen some awful, awful, upsetting situations where someone literally got their CSM a couple of weeks before and get thrown in the deep end, and it doesn't end well. You know, I don't know. I don't know what to do about that. Um, I have in the past caught myself being profoundly cynical about the agile industrial complex, um, often with the cynicism. With some justification, but just recognizing that with all of the things we're talking about, we're talking about people. Bless them. Even if they've got big egos, even if they've just got a certification, it's it's people. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. how can we as coaches help to release their highest potential? That that to me is the whole game.
1: Yeah, you know, I was um, having dinner with uh, Jeff Sutherland and one of my (laughs) my friends, who is a VC, he wanted to join so he had no idea what this thing was so uh, he, the first thing he said um, jeff can you tell me what is this agile all about and jeff only said you know this agile is how people work together mm-hmm. i mean that's the bottom line as to how people work then all the other stuff is is a process around it but that mm-hmm. just stuck with me he said to change the way people work together and yep. at all levels. Yep. And I think, I think that, that was like, that's a profound statement.
0: Well, you guys have given me a lot to think about. I really now need to think about what, what has gone wrong with my projects in the past. Maybe <laughs> I didn't have to have as many customer found defects. Maybe I didn't have to miss the deadlines every time. Yeah, a lot to think about. Thank you. Good.
2: Good. And there's we, a lot more where that come from. So let, let's make a start at doing a really good job.
1: So Steve has seen the light.
2: Oh.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> that was that,
0: very fun.
1: Well, This was
2: great. Take Thank care. You. See
0: you next time. Yeah, bye.